I've been waiting for this Sunday for a long, 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 long time. I'm so happy that today I can have 95 points to my sermon. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. This is a preacher's dream. 95 points. Well, not really. I have three points, but today is the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg. And so since this is the last Sunday in October, we celebrate this as Reformation Sunday and it's Reformation 500-year anniversary, so it's a big deal. Uh, if you went to a church this morning that didn't sing a mighty fortress, something would be wrong. Um, it's even in Catholic hymnals. So, um, it's a good day to celebrate what God did, not inventing Christianity 500 years ago, but in, in using sinners um, to recover some really important things. So, yesterday we had a conference on the Reformation. We talked about all sorts of things like justification by faith alone. We talked about sharpening the focus of the church as far as its nature and purpose. We talked about Protestant creeds and confessions. We talked about the distinction between the law of God and the gospel of God and how they're both good and important but not the same thing. I'm worn out just talking about it. But we had a great time doing that. So I can't talk about any of those things this morning. So I was tempted just to keep preaching through John. At least one friend said, no, you shouldn't do that. It's Reformation 500. You have to do something. So then I thought, well, five solas. Well, we always talk about the five solas. And I'm kind of a contrarian, so I want to do something different. I love the five solas. Don't get me wrong. They were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based upon the ultimate authority of Scripture alone. Maybe we should do the five solas. I don't know. I want to do something a little bit different today and, and, and on purpose, not just to try to be contrarian, but because it's often overlooked and it actually was really important uh, to men and women and boys and girls, and it's associated with the Protestant Reformation, and that would be to talk about the significance of the Christian life, okay? So we're going to talk about the significance of the Christian life. So if you are a Christian... Young or old, single, married, healthy, sick, employed, unemployed, retired, in school. If you are a Christian, newsflash, you're living the Christian life. Um, and the Protestant Reformation did something to recover something important for you. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about the significance of the Christian life from a biblical perspective, but it really did get recovered or re-recovered at the Protestant Reformation. Our text is going to be Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. It's a very familiar passage to people who've been Christians very long. If you're not familiar with it, I hope you become familiar with it this morning. So Romans 12, we'll look at 1 and 2. I'm always trying to figure out how to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. I know it's an urging, so I want to use an urging kind of voice. It's positive, so I want to have a positive kind of voice. It's actually exciting because it's talking about Christian living, so I want to have an enthusiastic kind of voice. I'll do my best. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's go ahead and look at that together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... Or as I originally learned it, I urge you, therefore, brethren, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. From that passage this morning, we're going to highlight three good reasons why your life, if you're a Christian, matters. Three good reasons why your life matters. I guess I could say all life matters, but in different ways. Why? So, so I mean uniquely, in a special way, in an extraordinary way, why your life matters. doesn't matter who you are, what your circumstances are. Why your life uniquely matters as a Christian. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to say, that's, that's, this is good. This is great. I'm motivated to be a better mom, mechanic, minister, <laughs> or, 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 or whatever else. This is good. This is positive. And it's only true because I'm a Christian, because of Christ. So the first good reason why your Christian life matters, or you could write why my life matters as a Christian, number one, you have new status. You have new status, or new status if you prefer. And the first one of these reasons is the most theological, though they're all theological, but it's the grounding in it, okay? So we want, we want to start there and then build upon the practicality of things. Your life, if you're a Christian, is uniquely special because of your new identity, your new status. I don't mean your social media status. New status before regarding your relationship. That's the most important relationship at all, of all, and that's your relationship with God. You have a new relationship with God. And if you have a new relationship with God, your life matters like it never mattered before. <clears throat> and we get this in Romans 12.1 from the, a certain statement. Go ahead and look there again with me if you would. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And I want to... I Pick up on that to talk about status. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God is the Apostle Paul's shorthand for referring back to what's been given to you freely because of Christ. By the mercies of God. He's going to call us to live a certain way, to have different living. We're talking about Christian life matters. But the reason you're going to be called to live a certain way is because you have a new status before God. And when he says, by the mercies of God, he's reaching back and he's talking about this, this great, great, great new status that's yours because of faith in Christ. You become a Christian because of the work of Christ. You have a new status, a new status. By the mercies of God. Because of, how about, let's just boil it down to one thing for simplicity. Because of the justifying work of Jesus. You were under condemnation. That's a biblical reality, biblical word. Because of spiritual rebellion, because of sin, your status was condemned justly, fairly. 
the positive partner word to condemned is justified. Condemnation, now justification. In Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and some 9 and 10 also, has been all about that. And so when he says mercies of God, he's referring to that new reality of a new status. You had a condemned status, now you have a justified status. And that changes everything. It changes everything. You have a new position, a new status, a new life. Totally different. Totally changed. You can go ahead and go back to Romans uh, if you'd like to earlier on. I'm going to. You don't need to. You can just jot things down. But to not take my word for it, back in Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. You're in a relationship with God now that's, that, that, that's not a condemning relationship, which it was, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, now you're enjoying justification, not condemnation. Big words for early in the morning, right? Legal words. You were condemned because you were found guilty. But now, because of the work of Christ... You're seen as righteous. You're seen as one who's upheld God's law. You've done the right things, even though you haven't done the right things. But because Christ has done them for you and He's atoned for your rebellion, now you're in a justified status, if you will. Different. Different. Maybe this should should be changed on social media. I doubt that's going to happen, right? You click on condemned or justified, never going to happen. But anyway, you get the idea. Romans 5.1, therefore since we have been justified by faith, that's faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's this relational, we have peace with God. And when Paul says, by the mercies of God, he's referring back to those realities because they've come to us by the mercies of God. They haven't been deserved. Since this is Reformation Sunday, I, I can't resist. I want to look at one more passage, but I, I just can't help myself to, to add a parenthesis kind of statement. Do you notice in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified, you have peace with God? That's a reformational truth to be emphasized. It's a biblical truth that was rediscovered at the Protestant Reformation because Rome had been telling the people that justification happens at the beginning of your Christian experience or the end of your Christian experience. Which one? It's kind of a trick question. They taught both. But ultimately you're justified at the end. If you do enough and if you're good enough. And if you work hard enough to fix this broken relationship with God, then eventually, based upon your merits, God will justify you. You're justified initially at your baptism, and then you lose it in the system. But then as long as you do enough, and you work hard enough, and you strive, and you but you probably won't make it in this life, but eventually you might be justified at the end, and then you'll have peace with God. The Protestant Reformation rediscovers the reality in Romans and rediscovers the reality in Galatians and rediscovers the reality in Genesis. Okay, I can keep going, but I won't. And I, but I want you to be encouraged by it. You can be encouraged by the fact that you're justified at the beginning. 
Therefore, having been justified, declared righteous, you have, not maybe someday, pie in the sky, if you just do enough, you have peace with God. The Christian life is a significant life, an important life, and this is just the foundation of things. We're going to talk about the practicality of it, but we've got to have the foundation first. Is an important life because it's a life of new status. Yes, Pat Abendroth is still a sinner. But Pat Abendroth has been justified. No longer on, on the condemnation side, but on the justification side. And therefore, Pat Abendroth has peace with God. I don't know about you, but if you put your name in that little statement, it makes me go... It should. And not just physically, because I'm exhausted from raising my voice. (sighs) That didn't sound very nice, did it? But you get the idea, right? Peace, relaxation. Oh, to use a good word from the book of Hebrews, rest. I have peace with God because of the work of Jesus. This is going to make my life different. It's going to make me look different. Having enjoyed a different status. Wow. Peace with God. Romans 4, 5 says, we referenced it yesterday quite a bit, and to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So still in a state of ungodliness on our own, we have peace with God because of justification by God in His grace. If you enjoy that, you should enjoy assurance. You have a relationship with God if you're a Christian and you're living the Christian life now. You're living the Christian life from the vantage point of being sure. From the vantage point of having a relationship with God that will never change. You won't eventually not have peace with God anymore if you screw it up. Because you didn't enter into this relationship based upon your performance. You entered into the relationship based upon the performance of Jesus. And I want you to know that. Again, since we're going to move on now, but before we do to the second key aspect, since it is Reformation Sunday, I want to digress for a second and and, and say this was... It had gotten to the point where we'd moved away from the Bible enough medieval kind of era where there was no such thing as assurance. In fact, it was considered to be arrogant. It was considered to be sinful. It was considered impossible, definitely presumptuous, and it was condemned officially by the church, this business of having assurance. But I want to give a little bit of uh, empathy. Because in that system, it would make sense to not be able to have assurance. Because if it is based upon what you do, who could have assurance? 
who could have assurance? I couldn't. It would be, it would be arrogant that I'd done enough, that I'd done enough penance, because that's how they understood repentance. That I'd done enough penance, that I'd been pure enough, that I'd taken enough of the grace medicine, because it was seen as medicine, that I now am cured? I have empathy or sympathy. I don't know which. I get them confused. I think empathy. But see, it's not arrogant if we're talking about what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans. If it's faith in outside of you, right? In Christ. Faith is trust. Faith is resting. We're relying upon the finished work of Jesus. And if it's His righteousness that's credited to me by faith, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, uh, having a righteousness not of my own. Theologians call it alien righteousness, and I just think of the movie Alien because of pop culture, and that's not very helpful. Alien righteousness, it comes from somewhere else, right? Creatures from another planet would be aliens. Well, the idea is alien righteousness. It comes from outside of me. It has nothing to do with me. Christ fulfills the law. His righteousness credited to me by faith. You know what? We've got assurance. Because we know the Father was pleased with His work because He was raised from the dead. He was vindicated, Paul says. So, Let's be impressed with our new status. If you are a Christian, your life matters. And now we're going to talk about your actual living this out. But we had to have a foundation first. Your life matters like no one's life would ever matter. Like your life, let me put it this way, like your life didn't matter before. It's unique kind of mattering because of your new status. Now everything changes. Now let's go to number two. Your Christian life uniquely matters because you have new privileges. You have new privileges. Now we're going to move into the actual details of Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I didn't want to miss the shorthand by the mercies of God referring to justification first. How about verse 1 again? I, new privileges. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present... How about this? To present your bodies... Not just your physical bodies. The idea is, is all of you, all of your being. Yes, your physical body, but, but all that makes up Pat. All that makes up Linda. All that makes up Lisa. All that makes up Bill. All that makes up whatever your name is if you're a Christian. All that makes up you to present all of you as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Dear Christian, if you are a Christian, you couldn't do that before. You didn't have the power to do that before. You didn't have the ability to do that before. You didn't have the status to be able to do that before. And now you do in Christ. And now you have this extraordinary, amazing privilege of being able to offer God true worship. It's amazing. To offer Him holy worship, unique, set apart, distinct. And no doubt that comes because of you, you being set apart in Christ. Because of your status, because of your being united to Christ. Now you can do this and God accepts it. And I realize we're not that impressed with this because we don't tend to think of ourselves as bad people naturally. But we ought. In light of Romans, 
You, you couldn't offer God true worship before, and now you can offer God true worship. It's amazing. Not only does that amaze us, I hope it amazes us, I hope it staggers our minds, but even notice the kind of assurance kind of talk that we're going to do this, we're going to offer our bodies, present our bodies, our beings, as, living, as a living sacrifice. He's using Old Testament kind of metaphor language. Holy and acceptable to God? Are you kidding me? This just tells us how good the good news gospel is and how great it, me, great it is to have a new status in Christ. Acceptable to God with confidence, with boldness. Now that you're a Christian, Paul says, I want you to live a certain way, but I do want you to know that as you're called to live a certain way, what you're offering to God in yourself is acceptable to God. There's no way you could actually honestly think that way if you weren't in Christ. Acceptable to God. That sounds arrogant apart from a gospel kind of context. I mean, I hope it sounds arrogant to you, because otherwise we're probably self-righteous. But accept, you, what you do, what you offer, your life is acceptable to God? That means you, the Christian life is a special life. Not because we're brighter, smarter, you know, whatever, but because of grace, because of mercy. What you do is acceptable to God. Now let's dig in a little bit more. Maybe going back to the, if you, let's make, let's, let's draw some connections. If you're presenting in verse one, your bodies, your being, all of you and all that you do is wrapped up in that. As your sacrifice, as your spiritual worship, as what is acceptable to God. If it's all of your being and all that you do, spiritual worship acceptable to God. It just got huge. Because now you have the privilege of worshiping God in everything that you do and everything that you are. You went from, Romans 5, enemy status under condemnation, no assurance, no security. You shouldn't have had any. And now you have full assurance that not only can you do something maybe once a week that would be acceptable to God, now it's your bodies, all of your being, everything, it's all-inclusive, is an act of spiritual worship unto God because you're a living holy sacrifice. This is awesome. I'm clapping for myself. This is so weird. I feel like a seal. <laughs> So, therefore, if you are a, off the top of my head, a truck driver, let's do T's, a technician, what's another T? Teacher, if you lead a tactical unit in the military, right, we could, I'll stop. The idea is, Regardless of who you are, if you are enjoying a new status, if you are justified by faith in Christ, 
Now you're called to present your bodies, all of your being, all that you do, all that you touch, all that you experience as an act of unique, extraordinary worship unto God. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's, it was biblical all along, but oftentimes forgotten. Especially when we really get hard and fast with sacred and secular things. Now, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because we are actually called to gather for corporate worship even in the New Testament and it's meant to be unique and extraordinary. But it's not an either-or choice. That's true. We just read about it in Hebrews 10 this morning. But this is also true. That your whole life is to be an act of worship. So whatever you do, whatever you touch. How about this? Let's say it this way. Unless it's illegal, you should be able to do everything that you do as an act of worship unto God because of your new status. This is awesome. It's amazing. And you've gone from nothing actually counts. No one does good, no, not one. To now everything can count. Everything you do. And see, this is encouraging and positive and exciting because now, I'm, I'm just repeating myself, everything I do can matter. And everything I do that can count. And I can give God glory in, in all these things that I do. And now all of a sudden, life is amazing. The ordinary really becomes extraordinary. It's the simple things in life. The Apostle Paul helps us just to see that that under the banner of everything in your life ends up being for the glory of Christ. Worship. It's no wonder he would say whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I like to jokingly say sometimes, I haven't said it for years, when I'm eating my favorite dish, mmm... Every bite is worship. Huh? Now, if I'm worshiping the food, I'm an idolater. And if I eat too much, I'm a glutton. I'm in trouble. Glad I have a new status. But it's, it's with my being, with your being, because you're in Christ, now it can all count. And if you're in a job you don't like, it can count. And if you're in a job you do like, it can count. If you're in a relationship you don't like, it can count. You get the idea. Now everything matters. And I can have a kind of joy that transcends circumstances. And if I'm healthy, it can count. And if I'm not healthy, it can count. And the Christian life gives you privilege that is absolutely transcendent. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. So you're, you're different now. You're living differently because of your new status. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a privilege. These are privileges that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a huge privilege. In my estimation, what's happening is the contrast might help us, 
Before you had the new status, you were part of the world system as an unbeliever and you couldn't think straight about spiritual things. And now you understand how God's grace works and now you understand righteousness and now you understand Christ and now you understand the gospel and now you understand being new in Christ and now things have changed and you think differently, you're called to think differently and you can think differently. And in my estimation, there's a good contrast between Romans 12, what he's saying here, and Romans 1. See, as an unbeliever in Romans 1, people were futile in their thinking. Right? They, they, they were speculating. And in, in, in what it means in our day, the way we speculate about God and we're futile in our thinking, we say things like, to me God is, to me God is, to me God is, to me God is. And it's always wrong. And we're just projecting our own corrupt, sinful ideas about who God is and then we're all messed up about any, anything and everything. But we go from futile thinking Feudal speculations, Romans 1, like unbelievers, and now our thinking that's to be transformed, the renewing of our minds, is in light of what's actually true about God. And we know what's true about God because of Christ. And we're in Christ, and now we have this new relationship with God in and through Christ. And we understand mercy. And we understand justice. And we understand righteousness. And we understand reconciliation. And we understand a lot of things. And it allows us to think differently about the world. It allows us to think differently about ourselves. It allows us to think differently about how we relate to other people. Even in a practical sense, I've been shown mercy. I can show mercy. I understand justice. It's very, very different. We're no longer, to quote Romans 1, verses 21 to 22, we're no longer fools. We actually have God-given wisdom. We no longer have futile thinking and foolish hearts. We actually are are able to think reasonably and clearly about life and how life works. And we just have to remember that that is such a privilege. Some of you say to me when I say, how are you doing today? And you say, better than I deserve. I like that. I said that to the lady at the high V the other day, and she said, how are you doing today? I said, I'm better than I, uh, better than I deserve. And she's like, oh, I surely doubt that. I said, if you only knew me. <laughs> I think I was even dressed up that day. It was kinda... We can all say the right cute little sayings, but in actuality, there's some right thinking going on there. There's some transforming of the mind which, by the way, is an act of spiritual worship too, the way we think, right? Verse 2, read verse 2 in light of verse 1. It's a different kind of thinking, different kind of living. For the glory of God, we think differently. And we understand differently. It's exciting. The Christian life should be exciting if we can keep it in this context. Let's move on to number 3. A third way that you're... Christian life uniquely matters is because you have new equalities. You have new equalities. Let me confess something now, and that's this. This is going to be a deduction from our passage or a further application from our passage. It's not explicit in our passage. 
think you'll see what I mean in a second. We have new equalities. If we go back to verse 1, let me show you what I'm talking about. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of the gospel, in light of the work of Christ, to present your bodies. Well, he's talking to brothers, right? He's talking to spiritual siblings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not super-Christians, not apostles. He's treating them as equals. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's writing to believers in Rome, and he's telling them that they all are supposed to do these things, and it's acceptable before God. By deduction, he's making a point, which is going to get developed later in Romans, there is equality. With our new status, we're equals. Pat is not in a place where he is better than you at offering spiritual worship unto God. And you're not in a place where you're better at it than I am because it always, always, always comes back to God justifies the ungodly. And that includes all of us. Back to Romans 4, 5. And if that includes all of us, so we've all gotten in, if you will, to the right relationship with God. If we've all gotten in only by grace, only through faith, only because of the merits of Christ, then we're all equals. And now we're all in the status of equality where we're coming from as far as worshiping God and being pleasing to God. Does that make any sense? It could just be further application from earlier, but I wanted to draw it out right here, especially in light of the fact that it's Reformation Sunday. This was a huge big deal for Martin Luther. And it was a huge tension between Rome and Luther. Because you have the haves and the have-nots. Because you have those who are close to God who can really offer spiritual worship, and you have everyone else, the lesser beings. And it made Luther angry. And it made other reformers angry. And so there was pushback and there was challenge. And you could go to passages like Romans chapter 12 to argue the point. No, this is an address to all Christians. And all Christians can offer worship to God with their lives no matter what they're doing that is acceptable to God. And it was a huge big deal. Now again, I'm a bit sympathetic and empathetic, both at the same time, to, to how the system worked, which, related, which led people to thinking the wrong way. It would have led you to thinking the wrong way, perhaps. Think about this. If I go and join, if I were living a long time ago, and were to go and join a monastery, and I could take certain vows that separated me and made me holy, and now I'm freed up to focusing on all that kind of stuff that's eventually going to make me acceptable before God, and you are working in a coal mine, or you are making shoes, or you are a stay-at-home mom, or you are whatever, picking grain in the field, I am more holy than you are because I'm at the right place and you're in the wrong place. Because in the system, there were right places to be. 
where you're closer to God. And there were right vows to take that would put you closer to God. And so if you're a woman, if you're a nun, you actually are able to offer something to God that other people can't offer to God because you're in a different place, doing different things. You're, 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 you're in a special place. And on the list could go of special kinds of people, special kinds of church offices. And now we've got people who can have assurance that they're glorifying God. And you have a whole bunch of people, most people, that can have no such thing. Maybe this seems really silly to us living in the 21st century. But the amazing reality is that now we have equality for anyone and everyone who is in Christ. Regardless of, to say it how Luther would say it, regardless of your vocation. Regardless of your calling. Oh, you're a teacher. Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Oh, you're single your whole life. Or you're married or widowed or, 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 or. Regardless of your vocation in life, if you're in Christ, you can have the confidence that your Christian life counts. Maybe I should say it can count. And whether you eat, drink, teach, bus tables, make millions, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God and you do it with assurance. What kind of life is that? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You don't have to be clergy. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to be a nun. You don't have to take vows. You don't have to be a celibate. You don't have to do sacraments. And on and on and on it goes. Now, depending on where you're coming from, you might feel pretty good about that. Especially if you're on the lower side of things, societally. If you're on the upper side of things, you don't like it as much. Well, we're all somewhere. And regardless of you're at the top socially or at the bottom socially, we need to remember that we're one in Christ and my worship is as good as your worship and your worship is as good as my worship. Obviously, spiritual growth comes into all of this and, and that sort of thing. But it comes back to it starts with our status and we all get in the same way. And we're not going there right now, but in light of what we've been learning from Jesus, we're all going to end the same. Because we're all going to be glorified. Because of the glorification of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with that sometimes. Especially when I'm looking down on Christians who I don't think are as godly as I am. And it's just a good thing to be remembering and to be reminded of. If we're in Christ, it's equality. In the end, ultimately. I want to close by looking at one more text, and that's Romans 15. Just as, a, as an illustration, as a, a passage we don't look at very often, and it, it really is encouraging, I think, as it would relate to equality in the church. Boy, if you didn't know what I was talking about today, you'd think I was doing some kind of social gospel thing. We're going to talk about equality. Uh, we're going to talk about status. Um, I'm using all the... All the big words, but I guess I'm using them in different ways. Romans 15 is, is good because it's talking about weak Christians and strong Christians. Okay? 
The weird thing is a lot of times weak Christians think they're strong Christians and strong Christians think they're weak Christians, but that's another sermon. The idea is we all, all of us in this room, if we're Christians, fit in somewhere. <laughs> You're either stronger or weaker. Uh, the idea is the Apostle Paul is going to make it clear that we're one in Christ because of justification, because of union with Christ, and so we should get along with each other. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. This is where theology matters. Because when we don't get along, because you're not as mature as I am, or vice versa, he takes us back to the cross and says, you're practically, by your actions, denying the reality of the gospel. You need to remember the gospel, and you'll get along. And be patient and kind. So let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end. Verse 15, or sorry, chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong, let me see a show of hands, never mind. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm going to put my finger there just for a second and say, that's not fair. See, you just denied the gospel when you say that. Because we're actually equal status because of Christ. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And by the way, it's an equal hope for all of us. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement think in terms of we're bearing with one another and you're weak and I'm strong or I'm weak and you're strong and this is really hard to manage this relationship and he calls for endurance and encouragement that comes from looking to Christ. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, in accord with, with Christ Jesus. This is a gospel reality. That together you may, with one voice, glorify God and, and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you uh-huh, for the glory of God. I absolutely love it. I love the practicality of it. I'm going to confess to you, I'm not very good at it. But I love at least knowing how it works. The way it works is we're one in Christ, equal status. Don't forget that. We forget that. Someone asked Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us every week? And his answer was, because you forget it every week. And I would be at the front of that kind of line. The key to actually bearing with one another and getting along with one another is looking at each other as if we're in Christ, because we are. And now all of a sudden, we've got something going on here and it can serve a greater purpose because we stand equal at the foot of the cross and we can praise God and glorify God even amidst all of the enduring kinds of things. And I love that. I love that. Equal. Equality. All because of the perfect work of Jesus. So I hope you're ready to leave here today. Not quite yet. But I hope you're ready to leave here today with having been reminded that because of Christ and because of believing in Christ, my life matters. Not in some kind of weird self-esteem sense on your own. No, because of my life in Christ, new status, I have new motivation, I'm free now. 
My life matters. I can live for the glory of God. I can suffer for the glory of God. I can die for the glory of God. This is amazing now what's true for me in Christ. And I can bear with one another, other people, because they have the same status as I do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's been shown to us in Christ. Thank you that you, thank you that you loved us when we were yet sinners, as the Apostle Paul says, and that you'd showed your love to us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by sending him here on our behalf. Thank you that he went to the cross and he went there voluntarily. He went there with with a specific purpose, and He went there out of obedience to You, out of love for us, and that He went to the cross to atone for our rebellion, that He paid for our sins, and He did so once and for all, the just for the unjust, as Peter says. And that He was raised from the dead, and He was raised from the dead on our behalf so that we could be guaranteed resurrection. Remind us this morning, according to Your grace, that we are one in Christ so that we might live like we're one in Christ for His honor and for His glory. Please encourage moms today, encourage dads today, and grandparents. Encourage boys and girls. Encourage those who are suffering. Encourage those who are at any and every place in life if they're believers. And encourage them with the fact that they have a great status in Christ and that their life matters and that they can live with others even who are different than they are. to maximize the glory of Jesus Christ, who is our great King and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.